You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. This week, we learn how to approach conflict in a way that gives glory to God. Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to be looking at verses 31 through 11.1, actually, today. Uh, Again, coming up this Weekend is our uh, Peacemaker Conference. Uh, we have Lee coming in from, from Delaware to teach us over Friday night and Saturday. And today I just wanted to give you a precursor to some of what might be there. But actually, in essence, what God called me to do, I think, is just to give you a, a perspective about conflict. Um, again, some of this is coming from Ken Sandy's uh, book on Peacemaker and all the material that you'll be uh, getting this coming weekend, if you so choose to uh, participate, um, will be coming from that book. Uh, so let me pray for us and we'll dive right in. Father, we just uh, thank you for this time together, Lord. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that we are called to, to look at conflict from your perspective, Lord. And Father, I just pray today that, that when we're done with our time together, that we can, we can leave here today seeing how you look at conflict. And Lord, that, that we can match up your will with our will. And Lord, it'll be challenging because some of us love conflict. Some of us run from conflict. Some of us really desire to be better when it happens. And Father, I just pray that not only today that you will open hearts to see God's purpose sometimes, most of the time, if not all the time in conflict. Lord, that as we see that, we will enter in and desire to be better and do better to glorify you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last month, we have been looking at original sin and how our flesh still carries the effects of Adam's sin, where we were talking about how we cover and we hide and we stuff the hole in our heart with things of this world, which creates a tension within the Christian, right? Where the flesh has, has not been replaced. We still still deal with the flesh that, that wants to cover and hide and, and stuff the hole. But in the new birth, the Holy Spirit has returned to his designed place in the born-again person. So we do have the Spirit now dwelling in, in us if we have been regenerated by, by the new birth. And so now there's this conflict that's actually happening within us now even. So the, the flesh is ultimately living out the effects of the fall, which it desires to govern itself. So every human being on the planet has been affected by original sin. So every human being on the planet is desiring to govern themselves. And they really don't like other people telling them what to do. They really don't like other people getting in their way, right? And, and if you've lived more than two seconds on this planet, you understand that and can agree with that, I hope. Again, this is the roots of the garden where Adam and Eve said, did God really say that? Did, did God really say that all oh, this is good, but if I, if I do this, I'll, I'll be flourishing, but if I don't do this, I will die, right? So that's our flesh constantly asking that question as we live day to day, looking at all the, the thousands of choices that we have each and every day. It's that, it's that kind of rolling um, script in our heads is like, okay, am I going to honor my flesh or am I going to honor God in each and every decision that we make? 
It would make sense then if this is the, the plight of every human being, and I think the Bible has taught us that that is exactly it. So every human being that you bump into in this world today, this is what they're dealing with in their flesh. Some of us are, have been born again, and now we have this little war that's happening within us, but we know that, that greater in, in us is greater than he is in the world, right? That, that the power of God overcomes our Flesh, And we looked at over the last three weeks how God has done that and given us the spirit to help us do that. But if you stop and think about it, if, if we're in a world where all these humans are trying to self-govern, it, there's going to be conflict. Right? This is inevitable. The, the question is, is not, is there going to be conflict? The question then becomes, how will you deal with conflict? How will you step into conflict? How will you navigate conflict? Because, brothers and sisters, it's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. You might be in a time right now where everything's kind of going real good, Joe. It's like, it, but it's coming. It's coming. It's either going to come tomorrow morning when you, when you butt heads with your coworker or, or butt heads with the person that you got out of bed with or what have you. It's going to happen. So how can we enter in conflict? How can we be peacemakers? How can we do so for the glory of God? That's the question that we're addressing today. It's going to come. Conflict will always come. In fact, Paul argues that one of the reasons we are saved is to be agents of reconciliation. And again, I never give Nate my sermon notes, and somehow he pulls my sermon every Sunday morning up here, which is just proof that the Holy Spirit is working in all of us if we know the Word and and recognize the Word in us. It's just amazing how that happens each and every Sunday. So he's called us to be these agents of reconciliation. Yes, this is first and foremost on a vertical scale where we were called to go and, and testify that, about the hope that has that we have within us. We are to go and tell people about the gospel, what God has done to save us, that vertical thing. But I do believe that agents of reconciliation is also going to have a horizontal effect. It's going to have a kingdom effect. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit. We can make change. We can help with change. We can enter into times of despair and times of conflict and be that agent of reconciliation, that agent of peace. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit within us. Our fear, our guilt, and shame have been removed. We should be a people who enter into conflict to bring peace. Why? Because we are at peace. We are at peace with God because He has saved us. In fact, Jesus said something like that in Matthew 5, 9. Remember that thing called the Sermon on the Mount where he's kind of laying out all the different things about the kingdom? He says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And he even takes it up a notch later on, as he usually does, in, in verse 44 of that same chapter, he says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And we just can't always think of our enemies in, in, the, in the realm of, you know, Russia and Ukraine are right now are enemies of each other. Some of you live with your enemy. Let's be honest. At least the enemy of your flesh. Because the person you marry just doesn't do, act, serve me like my flesh wants me to be served. This is, we find that out about month six of marriage. Sometimes you find out about week two. But that's just a fact. 
And if you're not yet married, take this as wisdom. Gain wisdom from the community and not just information that you can find on your phone, but gain wisdom and learn about this heading into this marriage that you might be heading into. I know for a fact that if you would video a few seasons of Charity and My's marriage, you would declare World War III. I guarantee it. You would say, that's World War III, right? That's what that's going to look like. So if we know that conflict is inevitable in some form or fashion, it'd be wise to have some tools to help us and help those around us. We have been called to serve to resolve conflict peacefully. It's just it's what God has called us to do. This weekend at the, at the church, we're going to spend five hours together gaining some of those tools. So Friday night from 6 to 8 and then Saturday from 9 to 12, we'll be learning some of these tools about Peacemaker. And, and just like anything with the Bible, right, you first have to learn something about yourself. And then you need to learn how to understand yourself in order to walk in and use these tools properly to help in times of conflict. So we'll begin by, by looking at these different ways that we actually experience conflict. Some of us avoid it. Some of us are attackers. And some of us just run and hide and, and just ignore it altogether. All um, but yeah, we need to first learn how we enter into conflict in order to understand how the tools are best used for us. Today, what I want to do is I want to set the big picture. What if we see conflict as God sees conflict? If our perspective on conflict would change, right? Because as, as Sandy has argued within his book, he, he kind of puts us in three categories. Again, I, I've kind of mentioned them that some of us avoid conflict. Some of us just love and, and run to conflict. And then, and then some of us have, for whatever reason, we end up in the middle and we are peacemakers. Some of us, for whatever reason, God has designed us and, and God has shaped our hearts. And, or we have learned from others how to be good peacemakers. But it's always uh, good to be better at it. What if we saw conflict as an opportunity? What if we saw conflict as an opportunity? An opportunity to glorify God, serve others, and grow to be like Christ. What if whenever conflict comes up, and it's going to come up for each one of us at different times and different ways with different people, but what if we, we put on the perspective, so to speak, we put on the goggles of, of seeing it as, as God sees it, and, and we see it as an opportunity to glorify God, to serve others, and to grow to be like Christ. Again, most of us respond to conflict in one of two ways. We either try to escape or we try to attack. But if we have the proper tools, we become peacemakers. Let me share a quick story that, that Ken shares in his book to help us use how perspective helps us to navigate conflict. And I, I think this is true with most of things in life, a good perspective, an understanding of, of the whole scale of things. And, and really, we need to always be putting on the perspective as Christians of what God says about that thing. Not what a particular party might say about that thing or a particular teacher might say about that thing, but what God says about that thing. So he tells this story just to try to get us to understand how perspective can change the way we go about things and specifically conflict. 
Ken was hiking in, in Montana's Beartooth Mountains in late spring with four friends. Late spring, the snow is melting, the, the, the river streams are swollen, and, and they came to a place in, in the path where there used to be a bridge there, and the bridge is no longer there. The, the swollen stream washed it out. As they assess what to do next, three perspectives emerge. First, one person said, the stream is way too dangerous. If someone falls in, they will be swept away and maybe freeze to death. Right? That's the person that's usually internally thinking. And, and they, you know, many people call those, oh, you, you, you think slowly. No, they think quickly because they've already figured out the 52 things that could go wrong with the situation, right? That's what they're doing. They're looking and, and they're assessing it. And, and maybe they're, they're going to walk away from it or, or hide from it or um, just not be aggressive in the situation. The second person says this. They looked at the stream and they, as a challenge to be, it was a challenge to be conquered. Like, I got this, man. I mean, I, we can, I'm telling you, we can walk right across that stream. It'd be no big deal. Yeah, we'll be wet a little while, but yeah, that, that water's probably 22 degrees or 30 degrees. I guess it has to be, but it's moving. So, it, you know, it's going to be cold, and we, but we could do it. I got this. We can wade across. But the other two of the men that was with him, one of him obviously being himself, saw the stream as an opportunity to work together for a common goal. Charting out the best path with what rocks were showing and finding a fallen tree to lay across the largest gap, they began to cross the stream. Slowly they got one person over, then another stood in the middle passing the backpacks, and eventually all four men made it to the other side. See, they, they had different perspectives. One was like, we, we, we need to do something else. We not need to mess with that stream. One person had the perspective, oh, we'll just walk right through it. And the other two came up with a plan. They got all four people across to the other side. Ken says in his book, I have found that people look at conflict in much the same way that my friends and I viewed that stream. To some, conflict is a hazard that threatens to sweep them off their feet and leave them bruised and hurting. To others, it is an obstacle that they should conquer quickly and firmly, regardless of consequences. But some people have learned that conflict is an opportunity to solve common problems in a way that honors God and offers benefits to those involved. See why our perspective needs to change about conflict? Because most likely we fall in one of those two categories. So today I'm just asking you, will you shift your perspective to consider seeing conflict as an opportunity? As an opportunity. Before we jump in to see uh, the opportunity we have in, in conflict, we probably should give a good, clear definition of what conflict is. And, and Sandy gives us one. It says, a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. And again, that's why, and we'll, we'll be talking about it just here in a little bit, that's why we read the James passage this morning. What causes conflict? It's, it's your desires. It's what's in your heart. That I want to go this way, but someone else is preventing me from doing that. Or I want to make this decision, but they're going the opposite. It creates conflict. And whenever we're, we're all affected by original sin and we're all trying to govern ourselves, you can see that a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires, we quite often find that 
with other humans. Uh, the Bible gives us four basic causes of conflict. The first found in Joshua 22, 10 through 34. This conflict is just simply a misunderstanding resulting from poor communication. Sometimes the conflict arises between other, you know, friends, neighbors, family members, just because there's poor communication. Again, in this passage, the people of Israel must misunderstood the purpose of the altar that the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built on the border of Canaan. So they, they built this order, uh, altar on the border. And Israel's um, looking at it as one thing, and they're looking at it as another thing, right? So these groups of people, what they were doing is they are trying to build an altar to remind their children that they only worship the one true God, the God of the Bible. And then what we see in that passage is whenever Israel gets there, they kind of, they kind of, Israel was going to take the, the, the altar out and them out. But as they explained, it was just a miscommunication. So many times conflict comes because of poor communication. The second cause that we see is a difference in values, goals, gifts, callings, priorities, expectations, interests, or opinions. Again, we, we see this in the Bible. We see this in Acts 15. This happened when Paul and Barnabas separated in Acts. And they're across a sharp disagreement. So, they, um, so, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Again, sometimes conflict happens because of difference of values or difference of callings or difference of this is what God wants me to do. And we see that in this passage in Acts. A third cause that we see is competition over limited resources, such as time or money, right? Time or money. That's time we, we can never, ever get any more of. We're all given the same amount. So sometimes there's conflict over time or other resources, such as money. And we see this in the story of Abraham and Lot leaving Egypt, Right, Abraham and Lot, they, they were both blessed. They had these big flocks and they, they leave Egypt and they go to a different land. And in Genesis 13, 5 through 7, it says this, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of the Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the uh, Parasites were dwelling in the land. So, not just so much between Lot and Abraham, but between those that are in charge of taking care of all these animals, there's only so much resources available. There's only so much land available. And we know that later on, as we read that, they separate. One took one land, the other took another land, because there's no way they're all going to be together in the same land. So, there's, in the fourth cause is our attitudes, desires, and habits. Again, this is the James 4 passage. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Many of these differences are not inherently right or wrong. They are simply the result of God-given diversity and personal preference. So just because you're in a conflict doesn't mean that anybody is wrong. It's just, I have a desire to do this, and you have a desire to do that, and we need to work together. It creates a conflict. Sometimes it is wrongful desires and wrongful things. 
But most of the time, and generally, especially between Christians, it's, it's two good things that, that we're quarreling about, about, okay, how are we going to move forward? But maybe it's two good things that you want to, to lead your family towards or your children towards, and, and you guys see, have different opinions about that, and, and, and you butt heads a little bit about that. So it's not just all bad. It's also good. But conflict is all around us. It's all around, especially now that, that what has happened is the filters have come off, right? Where, where most people, you know, when, when the boss tells you something, you, you do it the first time, and um, then he, he tells you to do it again, and he tells you you're still doing it wrong. And, and usually we would have this script in our head of what we're thinking about our boss or someone that's telling us to do that. But now we have these devices where we can jump on Twitter or Facebook, and we can air our grievances, and it's just all has come out. So conflict is all around us. Sandy again says, most importantly, the Bible teaches that we should see conflict neither as an inconvenience nor as an occasion to force our will on another, on others, but rather as an opportunity to demonstrate the love and power of God in our lives. That is what Paul told the Christians in Corinth when religious, legal, and dietary disputes threatened to divide their church. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And we can see within that passage how it is. It's about glorifying God, serving others, and, and being imitators of Christ, growing to be more like Christ. This passage presents a radical view of conflict. It encourages us to look at conflict as an opportunity to glorify God, to serve others, and to grow to be like Christ. So let's look at the first thing, that glorifying God. Conflict provides opportunity to glorify God by depending on and drawing attention to His grace. It's drawing attention to His grace. So as we give mercy and grace to others that we are in conflict with, we are pointing them to the God of grace. We're pointing them to the work that has been done within us because what we're doing is we're shelving our desires for the better good. We're shelving some of the things that we want to serve others. And in this, we glorify God. The undeserved love, mercy, and forgiveness, strength, and wisdom He gives to us in Jesus Christ is, is on display for all to see as we enter in conflict, looking at it as an opportunity to glorify God. How are some of the ways that we can do this? Well, the, first of all, we can be trusting God instead of relying on your own ideas and abilities when faced with conflict. In other words, that we, we can know the Scriptures and know what the Scripture says, know that who we are in Christ, that, that not, nobody can hurt us, that, that they can't take what God has given us away from us, that we are secure, that, that we are at peace with God and we are at peace with ourselves, and then we can trust what the Word of God says about it instead of trying to lean on our own understanding. And in fact, what he's done is he's given us a body of believers to, to do life with and that sometimes we can go to them and, and they can point out some of our blind spots and things that we don't see and may never see because of the sin in our life. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ to do that for us, with us. 
And we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to know how to do that in such a way that is speaking the truth in love and not just either beating our beating us over the head with it or some way passive-aggressively bringing this to um, light for us. So we trust God instead of relying on our own ideas. So do we trust Jesus' countercultural ways of doing things? Just a couple examples. Do we turn the other cheek? If someone wants to take your tunic, give them your coat as well. Love your enemies as we've already Mentioned. In other words, we are trusting the Word of God over our flesh. That's the bottom line. We're trusting Him. As if we're trusting Him, we're exercising our faith, and therefore we are bringing glory to Him. Most of you could probably quote Proverbs 3, 5-7. through 7, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Do not... Do not Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So trusting him and trusting his word and trusting the way he's laid out that we should be doing things and not trusting our own way will glorify God. Trust his ways, not our ways. And trust the Holy Spirit is present in us. So we're trusting that the this, this Spirit is dwelling in us. We, we're, as we talked about over the, the last three weeks, how we yield to the Spirit. We are yielding to what God wants to do. And we know that the Holy Spirit's job, one of His specific jobs, is He is sanctifying us in this conflict. In other words, He's either going to bring to light something that, that you need to change, or He's going to give you confidence because you trusted in His Word and you trusted and stepped out in faith. And therefore, He's going to build your faith as you stepped into that conflict and help to bring peace. So do we trust that the Holy Spirit is always working in us in everything that we face? Every hardship, every suffering, every conflict. So not only is He sanctifying us in the conflict, He gives strength to forgive someone who has hurt you deeply. Most of the time, we cannot do that. There's a a good book out there called The Body Keeps the Score, and and there's one section in it about forgiveness and how, you know, our minds just, we just, we want to hold on. We want to get that pound of flesh. Someone has really, really deeply hurt us. Well, the only way I believe that you're ever going to be able to forgive that person is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the main way, to be honest, and I know that we don't want to see this, is is to deeply forgive someone is to truly see that your sin is just as bad as their sin before a holy God. And that's a hard one for us to, to swallow. I, I, I get that. But, but that's when forgiveness comes. It is the day that you realize that the sins that you've committed before a holy God is just as bad as the sin that that person committed to you. And just as God has poured out his grace and love on you and given you forgiveness, this will help you forgive that other person. When all offenses, again, are put in perspective. As we exercise our faith and trust in the middle of conflict, people then see God as real and praise him. And when you step into a conflict and with, a, within, with the tools of, of a peacemaker and with the Holy Spirit and trusting God, and you're stepping into that, people are going to say, there is just something different about you. Huh. Let me tell you about the hope that's within me. It's just a great avenue uh, to, to not only 
bring peace in, in the area around you, whether that be work or home or in your neighborhood. But it's also a great way to glorify God and show others that He is absolutely real. And He is to be praised because of it. We see this in Acts 16. Paul and Silas, beaten with rods, thrown into prison. What did they start doing? Oh, man, I can't believe this happened to me. This is unfair. This is unjust. No. They were singing hymns to God in the middle of prison. God shakes the prison and the shackles and the cell doors open. The guard wakes up and sees what has happened. And what was he going to do? He's going to take his own life because he knows that these prisoners are gone, that my boss is just going to hang me or cut my head off or whatever they do back then, right? It's not going to be good for me. It's just not going to be good for me. But Paul stops him. Paul stops him. He's like, we're here. We haven't gone anywhere. We're here. And how does the story end? Acts 16.30 says this. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas beaten with rods, beaten by the crowd, thrown into prison, singing praise to God in the middle of the conflict because they're trusting their God and praising him. And what happens is, is the guard sees that and wants to know, how do I get that? How do I get that? So we can glorify God by trusting him and by obeying his commands. John fifteen eight says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit as you prove to be my disciples. How did Jesus most glorify the Father? It's by obeying him. It's by obeying him. Obeying God's commands without compromise honors him by showing that his ways are absolutely good, wise, and dependable. Again, that's trust, right? It's, it's all centered around trust. You're glorifying him by obeying what he says because you believe that it's better to obey him than to find our own way and our own path. So we can glorify God by trusting him and by obeying his commands and by imitating him, by imitating him, which I think Nate also mentioned by imitating him. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what do we imitate? We imitate humility, mercy, forgiveness, and loving correction. We imitate him. We we take what has been given to us and we give to others. We take the, the love and the grace and the mercy that's been poured out to us and we give it to others. The forgiveness that we got because of our sins, we give it to others. This disarms people and leaves room for reconciliation. It just leaves room for reconciliation. Sandy says this, every time you encounter a conflict, you will inevitably show what you really think of God. Every time you encounter a conflict, you will inevitably show what you really think of God. If you want to show that you love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, then ask him to help you trust, obey, imitate, acknowledge his ways, acknowledge him, especially when it is difficult to do so.
As conflict arises, we pause and ask some questions. We simply ask some questions. So, so conflict spurs up. Sometimes we know it's coming because we just, we got, I got to talk to that person about this thing. We know it's coming and sometimes it just happens and it's right there in our face. But maybe we can pause and say, how can I bring praise to Jesus by showing that he has saved me and is changing me in this situation? It's a question that we ask and it's quick. But if we hide this in our hearts, then the Holy Spirit brings it to mind and, and right in the middle of it, we can work that out. Another question is, how can I please and honor God in this situation? How can I please God, not my flesh, and honor him, bring glory to him in this situation? Again, conflict is an opportunity to glorify God. And the second thing that we saw in that passage, it's an opportunity to serve others. Luke six twenty seven through 28 says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. We're not released from this command to love our neighbors as ourselves, even when the neighbor is hating on us or cursing at us or mistreating us in any way. We are to love them as Christ loved us. We are to step into that situation with the love of God in us. We are called to, in Luke 6.36, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Meaning that, that we do not give them what they deserve. We show them mercy, just like as the Father has shown us mercy. He shows us mercy. You know, I, I really don't believe that it's, that it's possible to show another human being mercy if our cup is empty. If your cup is empty, most likely when, when conflict comes about, you're just going to be acting out of your flesh. You're just going to be acting out of your flesh. If There has to be more than, than coming on a Sunday morning. There has to be daily Bible reading. There has to be communication and communion with God through prayer. There has to be time with the saints. Or we're just going to act out of the flesh. We're just going to act out of the flesh. Because see, our flesh will want payment for the wrong or the perceived wrong done to us. Our flesh is, you know, we're self-governed and, and this is the, the default thing and it's going to want you. You've gotten away of my self-government. I'm going to extract a pound of flesh from you. But no, God says we give them mercy as, as he has give them, given us mercy. We fill our cup again by reading the word, by prayer, by worship, and participating in the body. If we have a servant's heart, we will see that many times the conflict between you and another person has little to do with actual differences, but more about other frustrations in that person's life. How many times have you, have you butted head with someone, and either in your family or at work, and you know, especially sometimes outside of your family, because most of the times you know what's going on in your family, but sometimes when you butt heads with someone out, outside of, of, of your family and then, and then you just you, you stop and you stop trying to extract your pound of flesh, so to speak, and you just ask them, so what's going on in your life? You know, then oftentimes we're, we're, we're told that, you know, that, well, I, you know, I had a, a loved one pass away and these six things happened this past week and this, that, and the other. And then we can actually empathize with, with that person. 
The many times that, that if we're walking as a peacemaker and we're not either attacking or trying to avoid the conflict, that we will step into the conflict as peacemakers and see that really the conflict isn't about me and the other person. It's about circumstances in their lives. And sometimes maybe we had one of those weeks and it's about circumstances in our life. And how can we love them? And how can we ask forgiveness of them? Because maybe we're the ones acting like attack, 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 right? So again, if we are servants, we will see that. If we are thinking others first, if, if we are serving others, we have the space and the room to actually see that. If we are thinking of others first and trusting in our identity in Christ and our security in Christ, we can look past the offense to see a hurting human who has been affected by the same original sin that we've been affected by. Can Can we look past all of that and see a hurting person? Because, see guys, that's that's what Christ did for each one of us. He saw past all of our offenses towards God, the Father, to go to the cross to save us. He looked past them all. And he's the one that brought ultimate peace. God may even use the grace and mercy you show another to help them learn where they have been wrong and need to change. If you see conflict as an opportunity to serve others, your actions will speak volumes about who God is and what he has done in your life. And then we're back to glorifying him in the middle of the conflict. Conflict is an opportunity to glorify God, to serve others, and finally to grow to be like Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1 says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. God's highest purpose for you is not to make you comfortable. It's not to make you wealthy or happy. If you put your faith in him, he has something far more wonderful in mind. He plans to conform you to the likeness of his son. Conflict becomes one of the tools that God will use to help you to develop a more Christ-like character. So that we can imitate him more and more as we leave the walls of the church and, and be the church out in our communities, in our workplaces, in our families. Right? It truly brings about what Romans 8.28 says, and most of you could probably quote that. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. Right? He saved us to conform us so that we can then go out and share the love of Christ to others. Paul Tripp says in, in his, his marriage book that um, all conflict is simply an opportunity for grace. So maybe you can't remember the three points that I, I've given today and, and the things that I brought out of Ken Sandy's book, but can you remember that? That the next time conflict comes to your doorstep, it's just an opportunity for grace. It's an opportunity to show grace and to receive grace. Because, see, God will use conflict to remind you of your weaknesses. He'll show you who you are. He'll remind you of your weaknesses so, therefore, you can trust him. 
and you can lean into him. You can give up your own understanding and, and lean into his understanding. God will use conflict to expose sinful attitudes and habits. He'll show us where we are not being Christ, like where things that we need to repent of, which is not just saying I'm sorry. Again, it's, it's actually turning from it and renewing our minds about it. And God will use conflict to reveal how we cover and hide in many ways. And he'll also use conflict to strengthen faith through practice. You know, some of us are, are, are good at attacking conflict, and it'll take faith and grace to step back and become a peacemaker. And some of us just avoid, 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 avoid all conflict in our lives. And some of us need the strength to step into the conflict and be a peacemaker. And that's, he's working in us. He's changing us. He's using conflict in that way. It's an opportunity to glorify him, to serve others, and to be more like Christ. This is the ABC of spiritual growth. Adversity builds character. I got that out of his book. I thought that was pretty good. Sandy says, as you worry less about going through conflict and focus more on growing through conflict, you will enhance that process and experience the incomparable blessings of being conformed to the likeness of Christ. <clears throat> so will you today see conflict as an opportunity to glorify God, to serve others, and finally to grow in Christ? So you are a child of God today. If you're sitting here today and you are born again and you have been brought into the family, he's done that in order for you to bless others. Nothing in the Christian faith ends on you. It goes through you out to others. And the moments and the times that it ends on us, we, we've stopped. There's no longer faith. We've just taken everything that he's given us and it's all about me. That's just feeding the flesh, guys, and adding religion to it. It has to flow through us and out to others. That's how it works. That's how faith works. It's always moving. It can never be stagnant. It can never be stagnant. Jesus has taken care of your biggest conflict, and that is between you and God. He took care of that for each one of us here that are in Christ. By living a perfect life so that we are now robed with his righteousness and never have to cover again. He was the perfect sacrifice to take away sin. He satisfied the wrath that we deserved. So therefore we, we no longer have to hide from him. Our guilt has been taken away. He is the perfect accepted sacrifice. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father and and is our advocate who is interceding for you and me as we speak right now. He's interceding for us. That's what he's doing. He stepped into the gap of conflict and he has brought peace for each one of you sitting here today if you're in Christ. And now he's called us to do the same for others. He's called us to do the same for others. See, Jesus is our agent of reconciliation. And God has called you to be the same for all who you are in relationship with today. The question is, will you answer the call? Will you answer the call? Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that it never comes back void, Father. Lord, I just pray that the Holy Spirit will work in us and help us. First, we have to first believe that we do not have to hide from guilt. We do not have to cover from shame. But we have to first believe that about ourselves before we'll ever step out into conflict and become peacemakers. Lord, I, I pray that you would just lovingly pour your love into us today so those that know you can know that. And Father, I pray for anyone that may be here that, that Lord, they're not sure if that's ever happened to them. Lord, I pray that you would change their hearts, that they would see God for who he is and what Jesus has done, that you will change their hearts, you will, you will breathe into the dead bones and make them come alive that you will fill them with your spirit and they can see Jesus for who he truly is. Father, I pray that you would do that today. If there's anyone here or in the sound of my voice that may not know you. But Father, I pray that we would answer the call as a faith family. We would answer the call to be peacemakers. Lord, that we would take some time this weekend to come and learn how to do it better. And Father, to to take what little I've given them today, Lord, to know at least maybe when conflict comes that the one thing will come in, into their mind is this is an opportunity for grace. And Lord, I pray that, that you would help us do that. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.